1: And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. I'm pumped to be here. Got a great interview dialed up for you guys. And as I was, I was talking to our 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 uh, know your risk ogs on the uh, on 770 AM in Seattle. That's that's the radio station where it all started. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but 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 you know, I do our little three minute open that only airs there, just just because that's the way radio works. I don't pretend to know why. Um, <clears throat> anyway, was telling him about the guy that we're interviewing. He's been on before. had this Had this fellow in on before. Great guy, nice guy, super sharp. And he, and he is a volatility expert. Um, for those of you that don't know, one of the things that I have historically used. To hedge to protect uh, against you know losses and things of that nature is volatility, and it's been very helpful to us. And yet this year has been a bit of an anomaly, because as crazy as it has been, and it has been crazy, volatility has stayed shockingly serene. Um. To a level that I've never really seen it. I mean, at one point, you know, S and P's down, you know, somewhere between fifteen to twenty percent on the year. Nasdaq's down around thirty. Bonds are getting smoked. We all know that backdrop, and yet here we are with the volatility index hasn't crested thirty seven yet this year. Now thirty seven's a pretty high reading, but I'm just saying when you have a down move like that, and I could go back and check the data, but I am pretty sure there have never been periods you've never gone through a year like this. And if you have maybe it's one or two, I don't think it's ever happened where you've had this type of market action without the volatility index breaking forty. Um, and it got up into the thirties, which is certainly elevated, right? To give you an idea, the volatility index's long term average is around twenty. Okay, so when it's at twenty, what it's telling you is things are pretty normal, you know, business as usual, right? Well, that's where it's at right now, and and basically. We'll talk to, we'll talk to Jim Carroll, Jim Carroll's who we're going to have on. He's been on before, very sharp guy. And we'll talk to Jim and he can fill in more of the blanks. Volatility is, is, um, man, it's, it's, uh, if, if you don't work on it and you haven't used it and studied it a lot, it's hard to explain and explaining it is sort of like that old adage of explaining an elephant to a blind man, um, Because a lot of people look at it different ways. It's kind of like I've I've said before, uh, if you hear people talk about the inversion of the yield curve, right, Um, it means different things to different people. There's a lot of theories. We all know that it takes place. Nobody can pinpoint exactly why it does. I've got my own beliefs. Volatility is similar in the sense that if you talk to, I mean, we know what it is, but it takes different shapes. And you can sort of define it differently. I know this sounds esoteric, guys, and it is because it's a very complex thing. I think the easiest way to think about volatility is insurance. The higher volatility it is, the more expensive insurance is, typically. Um, But I've never seen a volatility market like this where volatility is telling you everything is serene, and yet anybody that can observe the market... You know, sitting there going, "Wait a second, it's been anything but serene, right?" So anyway, Jim's going to come in and explain to us. And there's some really interesting market dynamics that I think are very important to understand. And in my opinion, give us some up, what of a window of where we're at in this cycle, right? Are we close to a bottom? Are we somewhere in the middle? You know, where 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 are we at? And and you know, as with anything else, there's no one definitive measure that's going to tell us. Even if we have four or five measures that all correspond and tell us the same story. There's no guarantees, but you know, this is kind of like a gang, you know, being an investor in, in in a market like this is kind of like being a detective. You know what I mean? We're, we're picking up clues and things like here and trying to form a mosaic that makes sense and, and, you know, helps us understand what's going on. Right. So anyway, that's going to be a a very interesting, um, enlightening interview that I hope you guys get a lot out of. Uh, and, and then we're also going to discuss, I, I want to hit on this, um, yeah, I teased it last week, but I, but I want to start taking a segment every week. And as as weird as this sounds, I want to focus on, and, there's, and, and I, right now I think I've got about five different segments, so we'll probably do it for the next five weeks, but the criteria that you should be looking for in a money manager. And this is, <laughs> this is not going to be a backdoor bulwark advertisement. I've said this before and I'll say it again. One of the reasons we obviously do the show is we want to get clients off of the show, right? It's a form of marketing for us. But the other thing is is I am very passionate, if you can't tell, about educating people. If if people leave this show or listen to this show and never contact us, never have us manage their money, but have a clearer insight of what they should be doing or how they should be doing it um, then, then fantastic, right? I'm just a big believer in do the right things in terms of be, be a value add to people and the business side of it will take care of itself. So not everything has to be, not everything has to be marketing. Um, now obviously, I'm not going to tell you no. if you like what you hear, you want to become a client. But I just want I want to arm people with knowledge. I want to arm people with facts. And, uh, you know, I, I also want to illuminate what is really going on behind the scenes, right? Like, what is the retail investment management world like? What are these people thinking? What are the things you should avoid? What are the things you shouldn't? And then also, why is it that we do what we do, right? We, 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 but you're putting away aside all the nonsense and marketing and catchphrases and all this nonsense, Right. why is it that we do what we do and why is it that I think that you should be looking for something similar? So <clears throat> we'll get into that. Um, but you know now getting into the market update. Um, you know, honestly, like I was saying in the in the in the opening segment to, to those listening on 770 a.m, um, it's kind of kind of a nice change a little bit. We're up a little bit on the week, uh, maybe like half a percent or something. been pretty serene. Um, pretty calm. That's a welcome change. Um, I don't expect it to last. Um, and but not a whole lot. We, we had we had an inflation measurement come out today that was a little hotter than most people expected. Um, and and kind of at this point, guys, I think a lot of these data points are, you know, just kind of window dressing at this point. Um, obviously, we can always be wrong. But where I think that we're at right now is I think it's going to be a wild ride. I think no matter what you're invested in right now, it's going to be a wild ride. Um, I think this market is really, really this – this market and this investing public is really, really, in my opinion, having a very hard time accepting the reality that's in front of them. Uh, I was reading a a tweet from Jim Cramer last night that said the economy is stabilizing and we might be able to avoid a recession. Um, Again, I I don't mean to beg on him. Um, I think you're going to hear a lot of talk like that out there. Uh, I will just tell you guys that while it is always possible that I am wrong and somebody else is right, um, I have absolutely no idea where these people are getting this. OK, there is absolutely no data that suggests we're going to miss a recession. Furthermore, the vast majority of data would imply that we are in one right now. Um, and, you know, I have really no other way to look at this. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. And it's and it's anecdotal. It's not factual, but it's really interesting. And it's, it's this bell shaped curve that kind of shows the arc of human behavior and and, and we apply it to markets and it kind of shows, you know, the, the, the first part of the curve is kind of flat. Right. And it's like, Oh, doubters and people, you know, most people aren't fired up about markets. And as the bull market goes on more and more people get fired up and then you get to the top of the bell shaped curve and it's euphoria. And then you get one third down the other side and it's, you know, kind of looking the other way, you know, and, and, and and you can look this up on the internet. It's like the, the bell shaped curve. I can't remember what it's called, but it, 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 I think it's called the five or, or, you know what it is. It's actually modeling like the five stages of grief, right? So you've got the denial phase, then you've got the resignation phase. I think right now, and, and, and to, to be fair, this is what happens at the, at the height of every market and, and especially big bull markets, right? Because you have a lot of fake ends to bull markets. You have a lot of, you have a lot of wrong, uh, uh, you know, calls for recession, right? And so most of the time in bull markets, people learn to kind of ignore the noise and stick with it. And one of the things that I have learned in my investing career is that usually you should avoid the noise and stick with it. And one of the things I look for that helped me a lot this year, uh, and helped me a lot to get through the financial crisis, is I want to look when, when, when I see there's always going to be fear. There's a there's a there's a old saying that markets climb a wall of worry. There's always something. There's always a threat out there, and there's no perfect way to avoid it. But one of the things that has really helped me avoid it. Um, now my fund that I run is down what I six and a half percent this year, somewhere. I, I haven't looked at up to date numbers as of today. Um, but I think we're down about six and a half percent this year. I'm staring at my first red year ever. Now I've been down before. I've just never had a down year. Um, now I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've had years where I've underperformed the market by 20 plus percent. So I've just never lost. Um, so I'm, I'm staring at potentially my first losing year here. Um, and I'm kind of, I, I I think I'm going to be hard pressed not to, not to, not to take a loss this year. So that's kind of a bummer, but, um, again, small, right? That's, that's the key. But one of the things that, that, that I think that we all need to remember is that there's always a lot of fake outs. and, And like I said, what's helped me is to not listen to all the noise, the fear of what can go wrong. There's, there's another great adage. More people have lost more money uh, uh, in in fear or in preparation for a recession that doesn't come than have ever lost money in actual recessions, right? And it's true. It's true. So, But one of the things I look for is when does the environment change, right? And, and that was one of the things that tipped me off in 07, 08 was waiting for the environment to change waiting for rates to go up waiting for foreclosures to start coming in right waiting for a switch well if we're looking at these conditions that have created this run rather than trying to figure out when the run ends let's try to look at the conditions right and the conditions that we are in right now could not be more reversed from the conditions that we are in the last 15 years. So just think about that for a second. What that means is the conditions that were so perfect for certain things and certain stocks and certain companies, all of the sudden, and and right, those are the companies that have done the best in this environment. Well, those conditions have all changed. So what does that mean? It means that the companies that have grown the most, that have gotten the biggest, that are throwing off the biggest profits, we're now in conditions that are not conducive to that. Now, does that guarantee you a recession? No, but kind of, right? (laughs) Kind of. Why? Because, you know, the, 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 the companies that do the best in those segments, they're the ones whose employees are getting the raises and the stock options and making all the money, right? And they're also the ones that get hit the hardest, right? Not always, but generally speaking, it's kind of one of those rule of thumbs, right? If you want to know what segment of the market is probably going to do the best in the next cycle, it's usually the one that's done the worst or you know, been one of the worst over the previous cycle and vice versa, right? So when I look at the conditions, I just sit there and I go, you guys are crazy, right? Like, of course, there's going to be a recession. The question in my mind is how bad, and and that is what nobody knows. And guys, I could see several different. I could see def- several different circumstances. I, I could see a scenario in which things get really nasty. I could see a scenario where your earnings drop. You know, somewhere in the fifteen to twenty percent. I, I really don't. I can't. I have a really hard time not seeing at least a fifteen percent drop in earnings. But I could see a scenario where maybe you're at fifteen to twenty percent drop in earnings. The market takes. You know, maybe trades in a range. I still don't think the lows are in, but maybe it's not catastrophic lows. I wouldn't pretend to know that. But the thing that concerns me the most is from my perspective, and I think the economic data bears this out, that the environment has changed. And I don't think any, any of us would argue that. So I think that this, the, the things that are set up to do the best going ahead are not at all the things that have done the best up until this point. So we got to be very careful. And like I said, it's, it's the environment change that I don't think people are paying enough attention to. Other things that I think are interesting uh, are earnings <clears throat> as, as it relates to the market update. Um, the earnings picture, it, while not horrific, um, you can certainly see examples over and over and over again of things slowing down. The vast majority of earnings reports of note have been to the downside uh, the other day. And it wasn't a bad earnings report by any stretch of the imagination. But Lululemon, who's it's actually a company that we've been following, um, haven't owned it. Maybe, maybe we owned it for a little while, but I don't think we've owned it for any significant period of time. Actually, I, I, maybe we haven't. Anyway, excellent company. I think we're all familiar with, with their products, right? Specifically the yoga pants and things like that. Um and they've, they've done a tremendous job. Great company. Not very big, but the growth rate has been fabulous. Um, I've never bought any of their stuff, but I, I was given something by um, an affiliate of ours, some branded. And it was, it was, it was really nice. I thought, it was, I thought it was geared toward just women. And um, anyway, I've been impressed with their products, press, impressed with their execution. So this is no knock on them. And because of that performance and execution, they've gotten really expensive. But it's on our watch list. I think it's a very well-run company that puts out good products. And uh, they – they overall, they reported a good quarter. But as you would even expect with them, a stalwart of this move, um, they, they are seeing a slowdown. Still very impressive growth in most of their segments, over 20% year over year. But a, a marked slowdown from, from the rate at which they were growing. Um, and then more importantly, a massive backlog of unsold inventory. And – when I see a high flyer that has such popular stuff for all good reasons, right? Doing a great job as a company. When I even see them backing up inventory, um, you know, it's, again, guys, it just everything says and you can sit there and tell yourself over and over and over again, everything's going to be okay and there's not a recession. I, I'm just saying like that's that's a position of faith. No, none of us know exactly what's going to play out. I just really have a hard time looking at the data set. And now even seeing the earnings back that up and remember now part of it is my bias, right? I've been saying all year long, we expected the summer of love to really, to really mask underlying economic weakness. We didn't really expect to see significant earnings misses until the end of Q3 and Q4. Um, And that's kind of exactly how it's played out. So, so because it's played out the way we thought, I got to be careful that I'm not too biased, but I just – there are times where you and, – and again, I think it's also important to incorporate what I was saying in the first segment, which was you don't want to just look at trends matching what you think. It's also the fact that those trends match our thesis regarding the changing environment, right? So if I'm right and interest rates are going to be horrifically disruptive – I would expect to see consumer spending pulling back. I would expect to see companies that have really benefited from accelerated consumer spending starting to slow down. If not see big pullbacks, I would expect to see companies that in my opinion could only exist and function in a 0% interest rate environment, like a Carvana having a lot of problems. That is a notable company for this week. Um, If you're looking at Carvana the other day, they, they, some more news came out. Their stock was down 40% in a single day. In my opinion, the degenerates jumped back into it and rallied it up 30% the next day. But don't be masked by that. It's still very sharply down. So if you go down 42% in a day and you rally back 30, you're still 30%. What is it? So if you're down 40%, you need a 63% rally to get back to even. So you're, you, know, you don't make it say, oh, well, it's only 10%. No, that's not how the numbers work. Uh, and then it's leaked another 5% today, 7% in the last couple. Anyway, um, but all of those things, right? If we are correct and that we are heading into a recession and these interest rates are going to be too much for the economy to bear, these are the things that we'd expect to see. And, and when I look at the changing environment, the environment could not be different from the last 15 years. It's being confirmed on the macroeconomic indicators Uh, it's being confirmed on individual company performance. And again, I, it's, you're way too early in this right now to be hiding under a desk and saying the sky is going to fall. We're going to have the interview with Jim Carroll coming up next, but one of his partners is a guy by the name of Michael Guyette, who I've spoken to before. And he has a quote that I actually really like. And he says, look, nobody knows when a crash is coming, but what we do know are the conditions in which crashes occur. We know the conditions in which bad things happen. For instance, it, you know, he, he the analogy he draws, and I think he's spot on, is driving a car. If you're driving in the high Colorado mountains in winter, it's 26 degrees outside, the snow's howling sideways wind, you're probably going to be driving 10 to 15 miles under the speed limit, right? Maybe even cheating off into the shoulder a little bit, but you're going to be cautious, Conversely, if you're cruising down the California coast in a convertible, eighty degrees outside, very little traffic, gorgeous day, you're probably pushing five to ten over, right? And and in retirement, and I and I think Jim in, in the in the upcoming interview, he sums this up so perfectly, which is which is what I'm on the on the radio preaching all the time. If you're young, bear markets. really – I was saying this to a client the other day. If you're 30 years old and you're going into a vicious bear market, chances are that will have very little impact, if any, on your long-term net worth. It may even really benefit it, right? Especially if you're like, well, man, stocks just got smoked. I'm going to start putting more money into my 401k. It's just not that important. Once we're in retirement though, right? You need that defense. You, You don't have 15 years to make it up and i it just when you say that it seems so common sense and yet there's so much pushback where where i just don't get it look if you can afford to put your retirement on hold for 3 years or go back to work if that doesn't bother you well then sure keep investing like everybody else just buy and hold and ride up the but that's not the way we should be thinking about it investing is a way to grow your money, but we shouldn't even really call it investing going into retirement or once we're in retirement. And I, because investing does apply long-term, but the whole makeup of a portfolio at that point should switch because now it's not investing. We're not trying to maximize the production of our money over time. We're trying to have our money finance our lifestyle. So anyway, going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. As always, guys, give us a call eight six six seven seven nine 779 risk If you want to know how to get a portfolio that's got more juice to the upside, uh, you know, way less downside, save money, right? That's, that should be the goal, right? Less risk, more upside. If you want to have a year like this, when people are getting smoked and you're down close to flat, I think our average portfolio is down three to four and a half, somewhere in there. That's not fun, but you know, it doesn't change anything. It's better than being down 20 to 25 like most. Right, and we also were up healthy double digits last year, 16, 17%. Okay, so we got plenty of juice to the upside, but we've got really good defense. That's what you should be wanting in this environment. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, but we're capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Going to take a quick break and be right back. We're going to finish up the market update and then also get into what you should be looking for in a financial advisor and more importantly, what you should be avoiding. And then we're also going to have our interview with Jim Carroll. You're not going to want to miss it. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
0: This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
2: Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money
1: printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation is hit. I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost.
2: Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC-registered investment advisor.
0: You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management.
1: And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. I had an interaction on Twitter last night, and that's probably a little bit too harsh, but it just, it just bakes my brain, just ticks me off. But I will tell you this. If you want to understand the average mindset of the average financial advisor, who is not a bad person, who is not incompetent, who is not stupid, I just think they've been sold a really bad philosophy that's going to get people hurt. Had a back and forth with an investor or or, or, with, with an advisor. Who put out a tweet saying, you know, if all you're talking about is portfolios and performance with a, uh, with a, with a prospect or a potential client, um, you're really that doing them a disservice. You need to focus on, you know, planning and this and that. And why would you spend all your time focusing on something that you have, quote unquote, no control over, implying that you have no control over the, por- the performance of the portfolio? And again, that I was incensed by that. Uh, and I was incensed by that, not because this is a bad guy. And it, like I said, I'm, I apologize. I probably was a little bit too harsh. But my retort was, if you have absolutely no control over the performance, and pardon my language, but how in the hell can you sit there and take a fee? Right? If you have no ability to impact the performance or in your words, you have no control. Then how is your fee not parasitic? Right? Because, and the point I made to him is look, you could be the best planner in the world. If your clients down 60%, your plan doesn't matter. Right? Or or somebody else responded to the same tweet and said, so basically you're a professional friend. Yes. And guys, This is what underlies that industry. I'm not beating these guys up. They're not bad people. The banks have convinced them of this. This is how they've been told to do business. They're not trying to rip you. They're not being disingenuous. The question is, though, is what are you getting out of it? If you knew that, if somebody said, look, don't come to us for investment outcomes. Come to us for our planning expertise. Guys, that should be a massive warning. Right? Because... What are you paying for? You're paying. The vast majority of you are paying because you believe that there is insight that is going to improve your financial situation. Otherwise, just go buy a Dave Ramsey deal, right? Just go, go, go buy Dave Ramsey's set, you know, his, his program, and just follow his program throughout retirement and put all the stuff in index funds yourself, Now, I don't think, especially going into the markets that we're going into and the economies that it looks like we're going into, I I obviously don't suggest that. I don't think things are going to end well. But this really dovetails with a couple conversations we've had with recent clients or prospective clients here. And, you know, a lot of people talk to multiple firms, right? And I, I encourage that. I'm always like, yeah, go see what other people have to say. Here's what makes us different. Here's what differentiates us and go come back and by God's good grace and the (laughs) the wonderful clients that we have, they almost always come back to us. But one of the things I keep hearing is, you know, Oh, this other fan flip or, or, or this other form, this other firm, excuse me, focused more on planning and that made me feel better. And why don't you guys focus more on that? And my retort to them, and I guess it might be a little bit flippant, but I always go, you know, my whole thought is if we make your assets more productive and avoid big losses, that is the plan right? Like the performance of your assets will never, uh, uh, outweigh in terms of the quality of your retirement, the performance of your assets, both in down markets and up markets, a, a plan will never be more important than the performance of the assets. Bottom line, the more money you have in retirement, the better things are period. End of story, full stop. Now Are there are there maximization things that we can do? And are there maximization or you know, are there are there ideal setups for tax efficiency and things that yes. But at the end of the day, guys, you're you're going to these advisors and in their mind, they're saying, well, we have no control over the outcome. And and what ticks you off is that you can, right? We do. Why do you think our average client's down three to four percent this year? Right? Because we have some level of control over the outcome. Can we control everything? Can I tell people, you're going to average this? No, I can't. But what I can tell people is, hey, we're going to build you a portfolio that historically has more juice than necessary to accomplish your upside goals. But also, that being said, in the most intense economic downturns, we'll probably get hit too, but never in a way that compromises the long-term viability of your retirement plan. Don't you want to have somebody that's saying, hey, uh, I no, no, our job is the outcome. Otherwise, what are you paying for? Right? Look, look at, look, here's a perfect example about how we have control over the outcome without knowing exactly how things are going to play out. And this is incidentally how our bond portfolio strategy or replacement strategy got going. Okay. We were looking at, we, uh, we, we were looking at interest rates back in 2011, 2012 that were at zero. We were looking at the average bond fund paying two, two and a half percent net of fees less than two typically. Okay. And we said, we got to figure out a bond alternative. So the first part of that bond alternative was, wait for it, dirtiest word in investing, a fixed index annuity. Okay. Now, not all of our annuities have performed like this, but let me give you an analogy. So, and, and the interesting thing about that is we started using that product in 2012. It's a 10 year product. So we're able to sit here now and go, okay, here's how it worked for 10 years is the first product that we have owned for the full 10 year cycle. Had you now what I'm comping it to, and there are probably exceptions out there, but it's a really good comp is the PIMCO total return bond fund. And the reason I'm doing that is to be fair. I want a fair comp. I'm not trying to sell snake oil here, in my opinion. um, And I think the performance bears it out. It's. Over the last 25 years or so, it's been one of the best-performing bond funds in the world. Pimco knows fixed income like no other firm out there. In my opinion, it's Pimco and Double Line are probably the two best. Um, but over the last 10 years, had you owned one of the best bond funds out there, you averaged up until about 18 months ago. You averaged about uh, oh, about a two and a half, three percent net of fee return on the fund. And then that fund is down about 20% from its all time high. So you, we, we went through and did the math. The fund is averaged about one and a half to 2% a year. And that's being kind, right? That's not factoring in advisor fees that may have been layered on top of that. But overall, if you owned that fund for the last 10 years, you're probably up a net of 15%. Okay. So probably not even one and a half percent a year. Now, had you put it in that first annuity contract that we were using, that annuity contract over the last 10 years has done right about 8% a year on a million dollar portfolio. Now, here's the thing, right? On a million dollar portfolio, had you done this 10 years ago, taken your bonds and put them in this fixed indexed annuity with no fee that we were using your bond portfolio. So a million dollar portfolio, 60, 40, 600 grand in stocks. $400,000 in bonds. If you were in the PIMCO bond fund that for that duration of time, you're up somewhere. Your 400 is now worth $460, 470 If you were in our bond replacement strategy, the fixed indexed annuity, annuity, bad word. Okay. No, th- this is no nonsense. We don't use the, the, you know, People are like, annuities, well, Zach, what are you talking about? Are you Are talking about the income bet? No, we don't use those. We just use annuities that grow your money. You're just guaranteed against loss, and you get a portion of the market upside. When the market goes up, you pay no fee, and when the market goes down, the worst you can do is no return, right? You cannot lose. Okay, so had you been in one of the best performing bond funds in the world over the last 10 years, started with a million bucks, 60-40, 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, your bonds... Started at a four hundred thousand dollar value, they're now at $470,000, Assuming you didn't take any money out of it, it had all you done is replaced those bonds with that fixed indexed annuity that is safer. It's insured against loss, has no fee. That bond portfolio that's worth four sixty to four seventy in bonds today would be worth just shy of a million bucks. Now I don't know about you. But just using that bond replacement strategy over the last ten years, that darn near pays for a vacation home. That's an extra five twenty five hundred and thirty grand in your pocket. Now, the performance of that, to be fair, the performance of that annuity was above average. When we're using those no fee fixed indexed annuities, if they're appropriate for you, not all of our clients have them, but if they're appropriate appropriate for you, what we're counting on is that five to six percent range. But this goes back to my analogy about not not being able to control the outcome. We can't control the outcome, but our job as asset allocators or investors, especially fiduciaries, is to put our clients constantly in the best risk-reward scenario. Why did we prefer that product? Because that that certain product, the way it worked, was it was, a, it was insured against loss with no fee, and it actually had a cap. You couldn't make more than 13.5% in a year, but you got 50% upside of the stock market. Right. So if the market's up 20% a year, you got 10. If it's up 10, you got 5. If it's up 5, you got 2.5. Could never make over 13.5. Okay. Well, what do they tell us is the average rate of return for the stock market? 11% a year. What are bonds going to make? They're not going to do better than 2% because if rates go up, the underlying bond loses money. Right. So you're pegged. The best you could have done at that time, and I've been saying this on the radio for seven years, the best you could have done back in 2012 is rates never move and you keep collecting your 2% or less net of fees. And then you waited till 18 months ago when rates went up and you got slaughtered. Or would you rather have no risk, no fee and get half of the marketing? Like when you sat there and stress test that looked at it, we, we, the reason we started doing that is we were like, literally the annuity is like 99.8% likely to win. And it's probably going to win big. Well, here we are. By taking that money out of bonds that can lose 20% in a 14 month period of time and putting it in a boring, stupid product, as another guy in Seattle radio says, oh, annuities is a product. Who cares what it is? Using that product that you constantly rip on, (laughs) the clients have an extra 530 grand. That's what you're paying us for. You're paying for us to look out at the universe and go, hey, we can't guarantee outcomes, but here's why we should do this instead of that. It just gives you a much, it gives you way less risk. And that's the thing. If we're wrong, let's say the annuity averaged the same as the bonds. The annuity would still be better. Why? No fee and no risk of loss on a risk basis. For instance, if you had two investments and, you, and, and they were both going to pay you 2% a year, but one was insured against loss and the other one wasn't. And the one that was insured against loss was cheaper. Which one would you pick? Got, and that's what gets me so frustrated about this. Cause you sit there. Yeah. We've got no control over the outcome. Well, then what are you charging them a fee for? Yeah, you do. We don't know how it's going to end, but with a little bit of analysis and a little bit of thought and a willingness to look, think outside the box, you don't have to be a financial genius to realize that when the Fed funds rates is zero and bonds are paying two, probably not a good deal. And, and and you guys really need to understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's like when, uh, you know, sometimes those clients will be like, you know, Zach, I, or prospects, Zach, you know, you're saying this, but over here, they're saying that. And I'm like, well, that's what they always say. They're not money managers. They're an advisor. And again, I'm not begging on advisors. Right. I, that's not the point. The point is, is you need to understand what it is that they're offering you. They're offering you market returns, less their fee period. And they're going to justify that because they're holding your hand and planning. You don't need your handholded. You need better performance. And obviously you can't guarantee it every single year, but this goes to like, I, I was telling you guys, you know, our average clients down three to 4% this year overall, but Why? It's not because we're so brilliant. I mean, we've outperformed the market this year, but it's also because of the structure of the portfolio. It just makes more sense. And too many of you don't realize that like, well, my guy, and I look through the portfolio and it's just all ETFs. It's just, it's just indexed, you know, uh, um, exchange traded funds. So you got to know what you're buying. You got to know what they're selling you. Is it worth the fee? And that's why I tell everybody no knock on those advisors I, they're not bad people. They're just doing what the bank told them to do. That's who trained them. That's who got them licensed. They're just doing what the bank told them to do. But don't think that, that they're doing something differently. And you can and you can try it this way. I can't tell you how many guys, hey, I listened to your show. I called my guy and, and said, you know, we got to get out of bonds. He's like, yeah, good good idea. Like, well, why didn't he do that then? Because he's not a money manager. And that's what you deserve. If you're paying a fee for somebody to manage your retirement assets, you should only be down three or four. But what are you paying them for? Guys, don't make that mistake. Okay, let's let's let, let let's engage that brain and let's also realize that this isn't over. Right? It's 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 not over. There's gonna be more pain, there's gonna be more issues. And what you need to be able to do is go to sleep at night and go, look. We, not, we might not make X right but I know that based on who we're working with and how we're positioned that regardless of what happens we're not going to go back we're not going to have to go back to work we're not going to have to sell the house right and, and guys I hope I'm wrong I, I hope I'm wrong I, I'd much rather navigate a market that just goes up I get paid off of how much your assets grow it's so much easier to make money when a market's just going up I hope I'm wrong I just fear that I'm not here's the other thing. Whether I'm right or wrong, we're not going to bet our clients' financial future on it. And I'm not going to sit there and tell them just to write it out. That's not what they're paying me for. You need to get your money's worth. And if you want to just sit there and ride the ride, go to Vanguard and do it for free. Anyway, got to take a quick break, and we will be right back to air about eight to 10 minutes of that interview with Jim Carroll. As always, you guys will be able to listen to that interview in its entirety, which I would strongly suggest. Very great guy, very sharp guy. Self-deprecating. He's a lot smarter than he gives himself credit for, but you're not going to want to miss it. Hopefully, you'll leave with a better understanding of volatility and what's happening with it this year. And uh, really hope you enjoy it. We got to run. But as always, if, if what I'm saying to you resonates, you guys, and you're sitting there going, well, I got to recover. And then I'm going to call guys, stop. Stop right now. Do not wait until you're down another 20%. Am I guaranteeing? Am, oh, pardon me, hiccup. Am I guaranteeing you that's going to happen? No. I no Nobody knows. But again, we are in an environment that has distinctly more risk. Okay, you need to have a portfolio that has distinctly more protection. Okay, without giving up your upside. I mean, that's the whole kicker here. Right, don't, do not gamble your financial future on this. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. And if you go to the, if you go to the podcast page, to listen to this interview in its entirety, which I strongly suggest you do do me a favor and subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the easier it is to get people to come on the show. You guys know the drill. Anyway, have a great weekend. Stay tuned through the break to hear the rest of the, or the first part of the interview with Jim Carroll, and then subscribe to the podcast. You don't have to subscribe to listen to it, but just Google know your risk radio podcast. It's free Hear The rest of that interview. And, uh, Like I said, have a great weekend and uh, stick with us through the break. We'll be right back with Jim Carroll. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
0: This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
2: Hey, it's Story Monsoon with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now?
1: Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and do and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book Booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss,
2: but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866 779 risc or go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.
0: You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management.
1: And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And now is my favorite uh my favorite part of the program here, um, where I don't just have to talk to myself into the into the radio, the blackness of radio. Uh, I get to have our guest on, and we've had him on before. Um we are joined today by Jim Carroll, who's a senior vice president and portfolio manager at Toroso Investments. And uh, he is a self-described VIXologist. He's a guy that I bother via Twitter uh, uh, through and he's kind enough to answer through direct messages whenever I've got a quandary about volatility. Because Jim is one of the guys, one of the few people I know that really has a practical uh, and experienced and thorough understanding of the VIX. The VIX is sort of like. I'm trying to think of a comparison. Uh, the, the VIX is kind of one of those things that everybody loves to talk about and discuss, and almost nobody really knows what they're talking about. Um, and, and Jim's actually done the work. So, Jim, I, I, I can't thank you enough for being on today, and great to have you with us again.
3: Zach, it's, uh, it's always nice to chat with you, and I'm happy to try to fill in the blanks. It seems like... Uh, uh, there's ever more confusion about what's going on in the volatility landscape these days. So happy to uh, answer questions and maybe illuminate a few things for you and your audience. Oh, man.
1: Well, I am looking forward to it, sir, because questions are what I have. Answers are not. Um, and so hope, hoping you can fill that. But before we get into that, you, you are also a portfolio manager, Jim. What kind of, kind of explain to us what portfolio you manage there at Toroso and, and, and what you focus on.
3: So my mandate uh, is to work with a group of clients that I've collected over the years. Um, So I'm not running a portfolio or a fund per se, you know, unlike my colleague, Michael Guyad, who's uh, even more famous on Twitter. Um, And, you know, one side of our shop is really very much a portfolio management operation. For my clients, you can look at it as more or less a traditional wealth advisory relationship, uh, but I do come to it with some specific ideas about portfolio construction and different strategies that I think can be useful in helping clients meet their objectives. And a lot of what I do has a tactical element to it. Uh, I am not a firm believer in the efficient market hypothesis. I'm not a firm believer in buy and hold forever. Uh, I think for some people, if you start young enough and you close your eyes to bear markets, uh, you can come out on the other side in great shape, you know, with a long enough time horizon and sufficient risk tolerance. But I find that a lot of people who have accumulated a decent amount of wealth uh, are are more interested in – Limiting downside participation, um, you know, and and taking some of the bumps out of the return stream. So a fair amount of what I do is tactical. It's on different time frames. Uh, We can do a deeper dive if you want. But think of it as tactical asset allocation, uh, some of which is relatively twitchy short term, uh, some of which is relatively slower moving and more tax efficient. Uh, and as part of that, I do, uh, in limited circumstances, uh, use some of the volatility instruments to express either a long or short view on where volatility might be going.
1: So <clears throat> would it be fair to characterize you as a, as, as a risk manager? Well, I
3: like to think that that is a big chunk of my job, is to really assess risks in the marketplace. And have systems in place that that really are rules-based and that will do it for me. Um, One of the strategies that I run for clients uh, has spent most of 2022 on the sidelines. Mm. Um, And, you know, people think, geez, you know, holding cash is losing to inflation. Um, Well, you know, as a tactical deployment of assets – uh, as opposed to a strategic deployment or, or just sort of uh, a blind, stick-your-head-in-the-ground <laughs> approach, holding cash in an inflationary environment doesn't make a lot of sense. But from a tactical perspective, uh, it's, it's been a useful place to be relative to being down, pick a number in equities, or down, pick a number in fixed income, for that matter. You know, as you know, this has been a year where there really haven't been too many places to hide and uh, and cash as a tactical asset has had its advantages.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say people don't want to be in cash in a inflationary environment. But, you know, go ask a bondholder if they'd have preferred to be in cash. Right. Um, right. And I think I think that's greatly misunderstood. Um, you know, you look at this year and and pretty much the only way you've hung in there. I mean, other than some energy stocks or some one off names here or there, it's been to be you know either in cash or short. Right. Like that's. Exactly. That's it. Um okay, so so moving on a little bit to volatility and 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 I I want to first run um, I, I have my own understanding of it, but I want to run by you uh my explanation of clients uh or or the explanation I give clients when we're discussing volatility and hopefully you can you can critique my uh my description a little bit and maybe add to it and, and, and help illuminate it. But Um, One of the ways I've tried to describe it to our clients and our listeners is that – think of it as the price of insurance, right, Um, meaning when the the VIX goes up or volatility increases – insurance is more expensive and when things are very relaxed and serene and the VIX is lower, right. And there's not as many risks on the horizon as you'd expect. Insurance is less expensive. Is, is, that's a very simple explanation, but, but do you think that that, what, what, what can you add to it? How, how would you, how would you expand on that?
3: You know, I have used the insurance analogy quite frequently because I think it, it is apropos conceptually to, to this, to, to the concept of, um, looking at volatility as a tool in portfolio construction. You know, you hear people saying volatility is an asset class, volatility is the only asset class. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be quite that, you know, dogmatic or, or um, outlandish about it, but, um, you know, you own a car, you you have insurance. In most states, you're required to have insurance. Nobody likes to pay for it, but you're you're required to have it. Um, if you own a house and have a mortgage, you're required to have homeowners insurance. Nobody likes to pay it. <laughs> you hope you never have to collect, uh, but but it's a. Call
1: All right, your- guys. Due to time constraints, we've got to cut things off right there. Uh, but as always, you can hear the remainder of this interview at Know Your Risk, or excuse me, at no, yeah, KnowYourRiskRadio.com. You can just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. We're on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, you name it. And uh, you can hear the rest. Like I said, subscribe, more subscribers we have. We don't make any money on it, but it just helps us get more more folks on here. But anyway, you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.